There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. On your radio wave, Shabbos Kodesh Parshas Bamidbar Top Shin Pegimo, and a very, very warm welcome to all of our listeners and our amazing and wonderful radio family. Thank you so much for taking time out on what is becoming an ever shortening Friday afternoon to turn on your radios, turn on your devices, and become part of our our team that studies Torah together and prepares and inspires ourselves for the coming Shabbos. And this is indeed an auspicious Shabbos. This is Shabbos Kodesh Parshas Bamidbar, which is also Erev Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh is going to be on Sunday. It's also the Shabbos immediately proceeding. Chag HaShvuz, please God will be on next Thursday night. So it's an amazing, amazing coming up a weekend, a weekend and then a week and then another beautiful Yom Tov coming up. Lots, lots to look forward to. As we always do at this point, let's start talking about the Pasha. So this week's Pasha, as you say, is Pasha's Bamidbar. And immediately at the beginning of the Pasha, Moshe Beno is told, Su'u Esreish Kol Adas Bnei Yisrael, Take a census of the entire assembly of an Israel according to their father's house. Now, it's beautiful. The Zerah Shimshin wonders why the Torah traces each Jew's lineage from his father's line rather than from his mother's. First, a child's Jewish identity we know, is determined by his mother. Right? The the, the uh, matrilineal descent is one of the areas which the secular streams have attempted to alter due to their diminished numbers. Second, the woman in Egypt were at the center of safeguarding the yichus, the lineage of the Jewish people. They refused to be violated by the Egyptians. Indeed, in addressing the familial names of each tribe, the Torah writes, Mishpachas HaRuveini, right? Mishpachas HaShimoni, the family of Ruven, the family of Shimon, right? And Chazal teaches us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu added the letter He, Ha, at the beginning, and Yud, E, Shimoni, at the end of the word, which together spell Hashem's name, right? Yud, K, and Vav, uh, and K. This was Hashem's way of attesting to the Jewish woman's uh, chastity. So since the woman played such a critical role in the redemption by maintaining the purity of the Jewish bloodlines, should the Torah not classify the Jewish people according to their mothers rather than their fathers. The Zerah Shimshon cites Chazal, who say, being a man of peace, who distances himself 
from all kinds of discord is a sign of pure lineage. This indication applies to men because they are the individuals whose role in life is accentuated in the public arena, from shul to the base medrash to various programs where they are constantly engaged in social, spiritual interaction with others. It is in this venue in which controversy can, can germinate. The Jewish woman in those days certainly remained homebound in her palace, living in solitary splendor. The entire glory of the king's daughter lies on the inside. She does not become involved in the, in the, uh, conflicts that plague the outside world. Thus, the barometer of peace is a sign of pure lineage for practical reasons. That applies primarily to men. The Torah therefore underscores that it is the uh, rectitude of Claudius souls of us, the patriarchs, more than anything else, that is an indication of pure, pure lineage. This is 11.9 High FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Parshas Bamidbar. We are just one week away from the holy holiday of Shavuos, which we so look forward to, which is such a highlight in our Jewish year, the Chag of the giving of the Torah. And this week's Parsha, the Parsha of Bamidbar, is such a beautiful introduction, such a beautiful lead-in to the whole concept of Matan Torah and the last-minute preparations we are doing on ourselves to ready ourselves for for this day. One of the main topics, perhaps the main topic of this week's Pasha, is the way the Jewish people camped in the desert. It wasn't haphazard. It wasn't in a way of just anyone sort of finding a nice shady spot and and sort of planting his tent over there. No, it was a very, very systematic way the Jews camped in a, in a, in a kind of a square with the 12 tribes divided into groups of three in all the four directions sort of focused around the Oyalmaya, the temporary sanctuary that was the sort of the focal point of the entire Jewish service <coughs> of HaKadosh Baruch And in fact, the Kliyokar writes on the Pesach, the Pesach says, Ish al-Digle, each person by his flag, Ba'isais, with the symbols and signs that were on that flag, Levesa Ba'isam, which was, and they were part of their father, of their familial uh, uh, sort of group. And the Kliyako brings there that we find in various Midrashim, particularly he quotes the Bamidbar Rabbah, that speak in tremendous glowing and uh, terms and, and, and how important it was, this whole concept of the flags of the Jewish nation. And in fact, they uh, expound upon this very topic, the the Pesach that we say every day in, in Tehillim, capital uh, 20, we say, Uveshem elakenu nidgoel, 
and with the name of our Kaddish Baruch Hu, should we should we put so we shall we put flags? And he says at the time of the Matan Torah, uh, Klal Yisrael saw the angels of Hashem, whatever that means. Also, the Golem, the Golem, also arranged in a particular configuration with their flags, and. The Jewish nation desired very, very much to also have flags, just like they do. As it says, The Pasuk says that uh, this uh, looked, it looked so beautiful, it looked like, like the rising sun, like the dawn. And the, and the Medrash brings, brings down that all the nations of the world were looking, were staring at the incredible uh, uh, greatness of of the Jewish nation. And they were amazed. Where did it come from? Why were they so great? And they said, ah, shuvi, shuvi, hashulamis, right? Please come back, come back. You shlamis, you complete, you, you, you complete one. And, and, uh, and, and Harbeg Banu, they said, come, come connect yourselves to us. Be close to us. We want to find out your secrets. We want to find out what makes you tick, what makes you so great. And, and, uh, come to us. And Vinasa Mimcha Duchsim Vegmainim. They said to the Jews, if you come with us, we'll make you important officials. We'll make you princes. We'll make you leaders of our, of our community. And the Yidden would answer them. Says, Mata Chazuba Shulamis Kemachalas Amachanaim. He says, in other words, that they were saying that what, why are you attributing such greatness to, to us? What? Maybe, maybe, uh, uh, if, if you, uh, if we associate with you, we're gonna become, uh, greater. Maybe you can add more greatness to us. You can't. There's no, there's no greatness that you can give to us that Akadosh Baruch Hu hasn't already given to us. Cause we have Degel Machani Yehuda. You know what makes us great is that we have these flags. We have this particular configuration in the way we camp, in the way we sit around the Oil Mayer. That was the greatness that's given to us by Akadosh Baruch Hu. And that's something that we'll never be able to duplicate in, in your lives and your world. And therefore, no thank you. We don't need to come close. We don't need to associate with, with you. Ask the Kriyaka. Anyone, virtually, he says, anyone with a brain in his head is going to be amazed. What is, what, what, what's going on here? What is this whole big Torah? What's this whole, this whole tumult about? Why was it that, uh, that, uh, why was there so much yeah, well, why did the Malachim get so impressed? Why did, the Malachim, why did, why did the, why did the Jews get so impressed about the flags? And why were the Goyim so overawed when they saw us in, in our, in our flags? Right? What's my, yes, my Yokor Gedula. What's so great? What's so precious? What was so great about flags that the Jews wanted them and that the Goyim had this, Tremendous also desire to be close to Kleiso because of the fact that we have these flags. Answers the, the Kleoka. He says, what seems to me apparent to be able to say is that the main cheshek, the main desire of the Jewish nation was to, uh, uh, to appear in front of 
all the nations and show all the nations, as the Pesach says, Ki Shem Hashem that we carry with us, we represent the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Yiru Mehem. And because of that, the nations should have a fear, should have a trepidation of, of them. And and through that, uh, they would then take, sort of raise the, the banner of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and, 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 and a victory very, very high in, in all four directions of, of the world. Why? Because since we camp and we, and we uh, create this circle in all four directions, and of course, the Shina, the Divine Presence, and the Oran, the, the, the Ark of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's uh, covenant is in the middle, right? So, and that's the place where ever, that's the focal point where everyone is turned and everyone is directed towards there. So all the nations would see that what we do is all we do. And all that's important to us is to go B'Shem Hashem, to go with the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this is the sign, right, which uh, which everyone in that circle, because that's the property of, of a circle. The circle has wherever you, what point you are on the circle. It's all focused towards that center radius, that center point. Where, and then and all the nations will see that we walk in, in the name, in the name of, of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As it, uh, as, as a Chazasa, it's more in, in, in Tainus, that in the future times, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to make a, a circle for, for the Tzadikim in Ganeden. And Hashem, Hashem himself is going to sit in, in the middle. As it says, I will walk in, in your midst, because wherever tzaddikim turn, wherever tzaddikim are, are, are directed, everyone turns towards, towards, towards the Shekhinah. And that's where it is, not only in Oilam Haba, but also in this, in this world. Right? And this is the sign, this is the symbol of the flag, that this is a sign of the, of our victory in, 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 in the nations of the world. When you raise your flag, that's an indication that we've been, we've been victorious. And this flag that we have is B'Shem Hashem, is in, in the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because obviously we don't win wars, we don't inherit lands with our, with our strength, with our might. Everything we do is with the name of, of, of Hashem. And that's such a beautiful, beautiful lesson today as we celebrate uh, Yom, Yom Yushalayim, the day of the, of the reunification of, of Yushalayim. And we remember that we have the flag of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and, and uh, we walk only B'Shem Hashem. And the Malachim, because they also surround the Kisei HaKadosh, the, the, the throne of glory of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So therefore, everyone is scared, everyone is awed by the presence of the Malachim in their particular configuration around the, the Kisei HaKadosh. As it, as it says, they are humor They're fearful, they're awesome, like these, like these towers, like these, like these flags, because of the fact that they surround the, the, the Kisiyah covers, so everything else in the world has a fear, has, in, is, 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 a, is, is a, in absolute uh, trepidation and awe, including all the nations of, of, of the world. 
Because everyone sees their greatness. Everyone sees their devotion and dedication and their unity and loyalty to to HaKadosh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is 101.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment with much, much more on this beautiful and holy topic. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Bamidbar, Tov Shin Pei in Gimel, as you prepare for Chag HaShvuas, coming up just around the corner, Thursday night, next week will be the first night of Shavuos, the night of the Tikkun Leil, and we're talking about preparing ourselves for that great day of once again dedicating and rededicating ourselves to the learning, to the adherence, to the precepts and the concepts of Avtare. In the previous segment, we learned together the Kriyaka, which talks about the concept of, of flags. And based on what the Kriyaka is, is saying, that the whole purpose, the whole concept of the flags is to reveal that the Shekhinah, dwells amongst the Jewish nation. So perhaps now we can approach and understand a little bit better that which is written in Rabbeinu Bachaya. Rabbeinu Bachaya says that this is an, an amazing, amazing and wonderful concept. And really, he says, we should actually hide this concept. It's so important and so vital. It's not something we should reveal to the masses, but we will. It says the the Nasi, the prince, the, let's say that stood on the on the eastern side Let's say in the in the camp of of Yehuda, the prince of that of that camp was Nisanel, right? Nisanel, and the prince that stood in the in the uh, in the southern side as part of the Degel of Ruvain, his name was Shlumiel, right? Shalem Mikel, peace to Hashem. And the one that was on the west side, the Nasi on the west side, which was part of the camp of Ephraim, his name was Gamli El, right? Gomal Kel Hashem bestowed upon us. And the one that stood on the northern side, as part of the Machina of Dan, his name was Pagi El, Poga Kel. We met, we encountered HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And you won't find in any other names that they have specifically in them, the all of them, all those four names, all the four names of the Nesim had in them the name of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, except for these four who stood as the Nesim, who stood as the, as the chiefs and, and, the, and the sort of CEOs of those four, of those four camps, because perhaps because their name represented and contained the name of Hashem, they were the most fitting to be the ones who would represent, who would sort of highlight the 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 camp on, on each direction of of Hakadosh Baruch. In other words, the names of these Nesim who stood as as the leaders of their direction of their flag, all of them were sealed with the name of of Hashem in order to teach us that the Shechina dwells on the Jewish nation. And specifically, it's brought by Rabbi Mordechai Koyen from Tzfas in, in, in his Sefer Sifse Koyen al Taira says, he says, I found that it was written, it says, Ish al Digloi Bo'oisais, each person on his flag with these symbols. 
that the four flags, right, uh, were, were, uh, uh, each, on each one of the, of the flags of the, the, uh, the four camps, there was one of the letters of the Isis of Hashem, right? Degel Yehuda. So on that flag was written the Yud of Hashem's name. On the, de- on the flag of the camp of Ruvain was written the first hay of Hashem's name. On the flag of the camp of Ephraim was written the Vav of Hashem's name. And Dun, the fourth camp, had the second hay of Hashem's name. And each one of those flags, right, would, would bring down to the Jewish nation the, the outpouring of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's a presence that usually is represented by that, by that name. And that's the, the secret of, of that which it says, but they had the, literally the letters that, that's kind of really motored and, and really had a tremendous influence on, on their, on their families. Yitnu the Jews would place that on their flag because that would then be, that would then be the, 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 the well. Of goodness, the well of bracha, the well of of success that would come down would come through the letter of Hashem's name that was attached to their to their camp, and that's the site that's the, that's the secret of the of the uh, of the of the camps, right? And that's how they traveled. And Isaiah also says the same the same kind of concept that that name of Hashem, which was attached to all of the camps, that was then the the secret of their of their success, of their, of their greatness. So we see that the four letters of the shame of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so were, were engraved on the four, on the four, uh, flags to teach us that again, the Shekhinah dwells amongst the Jewish nation. Now, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar explained the, the, the language, Ish al digloi ba'isis, that it's expression of that, the word ois, comes from the word, Bechol Avas Nafshecha. Ois comes from the word, all the desire, because the Bnei Yisrael had this tremendous desire for these flags, right, to be able to stand in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu at, at Matan Torah, when they saw the way the angels stood around HaKadosh Baruch Hu, around HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Kisiyah Covenant. So based on that, we can perhaps say that the word Ois actually has two Different meanings. One of them is lushan of letters, oisios letters, and the second is the second of avas, which is a, a a strong desire to teach us that the more a person has a desire and wants to connect himself to the to the spiritual letters of of his own neshama, because of course our neshama is is part of our kodesh baruch Hu. So when we sort of connect and 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 give give uh, uh, light and give and give uh, uh, you know operational room to our neshama we are then accessing those letters of of the of the neshama that are that, that that are within within us and when a person really wants to connect to that spiritual letter of his neshama so therefore he will be zeichet to light up that letter which is attached to his to his uh, to his neshama now the the megala mukas uh, brings down that the word Yisrael is actually, as we know, a a uh, a acronym for Yesh 
Shishim Riboy Isis Latara. There's six hundred thousand letters in in the Torah, and of course the the Mabit brings down in the Sefer Abayselakim that regarding this whole concept of six hundred thousand. Obviously, there aren't six hundred thousand letters in the Torah. I say, Torah, if you would sit and have a spare few hours and you want to count them, there are only about three hundred and ten thousand letters in in actual in actual Torah. So the Mabit. The Mabit says that there were in Klaisro, right, many, many people above the age of 20 until the age of, of 60. And nevertheless, they weren't counted. He says, a big Kiddush, that don't think that 600,000 is the actual number of the Jewish nation. He says there were many, many more, but still they weren't counted. Why? Because he says, those who are not good people, they actually don't count. That we only counted the 600,000 were only the Hasidim and the Zikainim and the Chachamim, as in fact the Merish Talchuma says. Now, based on what, on what we're saying, in order to be Zayche, to the Isis, to the Isis, to be able to, to, to kind of access the letter of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that is part of our neshama, so we need ice, we need a ratzim, we need a, a desire. And Rashaim, who didn't have that kind of desire to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, therefore they are not included, says the Mabit, in the 600,000 of the Jewish, of the Jewish nation. In fact, the, the Targum Yonison, uh, brings that on the actual flag of of each camp was also engraved a a picture of one of the highest of one of those uh, uh, images that we know that are around the Kisiah covers and on the on the flag of the camp of Ruvain. So there there was uh, uh, engraved the picture of 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 a deer and. In fact, it, it really, really uh, uh, should have been that uh, if we were paraphrasing the, the, the images on the Kisya covered, then that really should have been an ox, not a deer. But Moshe Rabbeinu swapped the shore for the deer. Why? In order that we didn't, that uh, there should be no remembrance and no reminder of the sin of, of the ego. And of course, the question is, why did he pick instead the deer? If you wanted to remove the, the, the ox, that there shouldn't be any remembrance of the, of the, of the eagle, why Dafka put this ayala? Why Dafka put this, this hind there instead? So again, if we're saying that the whole concept of the flag is to show our tremendous desire, our tremendous yearning for our Kaddish Baruch Hu, like the Pasuk in Tehillim says, Ka'ayel taroig alafikemayim, just like this ayel sort of uh, 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 goes and, and, and to the pools of water and runs to drink there, Kain nafshi taroigelechalakim, so to my neshama yearns to be close to you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So we see very, very clearly that this, this ayala, uh, symbolizes for us a tremendous desire, a, a, a yearning, and and uh, and uh, a, a need, a magnetic almost pull 
towards the, the Borealum. And these are, these are such important of, of, of topics. This is, this is really what the flags symbolize. That, you know, if, if your avas nafshacha, if the deep-seated desire of your soul is to come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then you will merit to have the Shekhinah dwell, dwell on you. The, the, the Chida in, in Chaymasanach, he brings down that on Shevet God, it says, it says something different. It says, the Nasi Livnei God, the Nasi of the children of God is El Yosef Ben Reuel. That, that's his name. And it says by, uh, in, in elsewhere, in Pashas Baalaischa, where it mentions the name of the Nasi of, of God. So the name changes. It, instead of being Reuel, it becomes a deuel with the letter Dalit. Why? Why did his name change from reuel to deuel? She explains. He based on he brings that from a sefer Imre Nayam, who was uh, one of the early early commentaries. That Shevet Dun also we know had their flag, and Shevet God didn't. Have a flag. It was they were part of Shevet Ephraim, but they were a secondary tribe to 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 uh, Ephraim. Now Dun was the oldest child of Yaakov's wife Billa, and God was the oldest child of the other maid servant Zilpah, and therefore Shevet God could really have a have a forever. They could have claimed it's not fair. Uh, if uh, if Dun, who was the oldest child of the one maidservant, if he became the captain of his flag, how come we didn't become the captain of of our flag? Like Shevet Dun did. But nevertheless, they were quiet and they just sort of sucked it up. They just sort of took took it in their stride, and therefore they merited that Moshe Rabbeinu himself was buried in their in their territory because. They were mavatrim. They were prepared to forego their honor, and they didn't make a big deal about the fact that they didn't get their own flag, although they were a bachor. And and because of that, there was zeicher that Moshe Rabbeinu himself would be buried in their in their in their portion. The question then becomes: Why actually did Shevet done? Why did they get a their own flag? And Shevet God did in fact not get a flag. So perhaps you can answer that based on what we said in the Sefer Paneach Raza, it says, Don Yodin Amoy. Don will judge his nation. And the Rashbam explains, it's not possible that Yaakov was already saying Nevoa about Shimshon falling into the hands of the Plishtim and them uh, sort of t- gouging out his eyes. But he was referring to Don itself. Why? Because Don, we know, was the last uh, of all the tribes that traveled. He traveled behind everyone else. And he had to fight with all the nations who had attacked the Jews from behind to try to take uh, uh, revenge against the Jews. He was always then, I guess you call it the front line. He was the back line. But he was actually the front line in any war that the Jews had to had to fight. In fact, the Chizkuni writes also that uh, uh, Don always went behind all the other flags 
during the time of Moshe, and even also in the time of Yeshua, as it says, The last tribes went after the Oran, and therefore he was always the vanguard, the, the rear vanguard, and therefore always had to fight with those who chased after them, because we know Shevetan were very, very mighty warriors. So perhaps we can say that because of that, uh, uh, Shevetan got the right to have a flag, that it would give them the, the Kayach to be victorious over their enemies, as we mentioned from the Kliyakar, that the whole Toelis that there are in the flags is be able to be victorious in, in any kind of war. And now we can understand what the Medrash Tapias brings, quoting Rabbeinu B'chaya, that the picture of the Aryeh, the lion, which was on the flag of Yehuda, that corresponded to the lion that was on the on the chariot of Avakash Baruchu. The ox, which was on the picture of Ephraim, that took the place of the ox that was in the Merkava. Right? The person, the picture of the person that was on the tribe of Ruvain, right? That was the for the uh, uh jasmine that that also had somehow looked like a, a human being, and therefore he corresponded to the uh, uh, thick, the, the picture of the man on the chariot, and the eagle was Keneged Shevet Dun. And obviously the Medrash asks, but I ask many people, how come the the picture of the Nesha, of the eagle, went to Tzeret, went to uh, Why not the picture of a nochash? We know that, that the bracha of, of Don was, Yidon nochash ali derech. Don will be like a snake on the road. And I asked a certain uh, uh, school teacher, and he explained to me that the letters Don, Dalit, Nun, if I spell it out, so it's Delis, right? Because Dalit is Dalit Lametov, and Nun is Nun Vav Nun. So if you take it spelled out fully, Dalis Nun, the Gematria is Nesha, an eagle, and therefore they Dafka made on his on his flag the picture of a Nesha. Now, based on what we're saying, why did they choose the eagle? on the flag of, of Don, because Shevet Don was, since they were the last of the, of the Shvatim, and he would catch, so to speak, all the arrows that, the, that, that the, the enemies used to shoot against the Jewish nation. So therefore, he was just like the eagle. The eagle says, let me put my child on, on my back, so that if you, anyone shoots at me, I'll catch the arrow, and not my, my, uh, my, my child. Perhaps another <coughs> explanation would be, based on what uh, Tzofnas Panyach says in Parshas Bala, quoting a Medrash, that Don, in fact, was lame in both legs. And he explains over there uh, why it says by them, why that Don will be a nochash ale derech, because he actually couldn't walk. And therefore we have to say <coughs> that they didn't want to put the picture of a snake, <coughs> because that would be to the detriment of of a... Uh, of, of uh, Don mentioning his his lack of an ability to to walk, and therefore they, on the contrary, they chose the picture of the eagle, which is flies as high as anybody else and doesn't even need uh, feet because it's flying all the time. Like we find, like Rabbi Zera, Rabbi called Rabbi Zera, right? The uh, he called him Yarod Nali, and Rashi says, "What's that? That's a snake, a foolish snake." 
or he says not not a flag. It's a it's a it's a uh, bird whose name is is Tanen. Even though Rabbi Zera, we know, was very very short and had burnt legs, he was quite limited in his physical ability, and therefore his nickname was like a bird. Instead of instead of being uh, detrimental to him, they they gave him the nickname of a bird because a bird, in fact, doesn't need legs. And that's a lesson to us. We always have to find ways of even if people are challenged, to find ways of referring to them in complementary ways so that we don't label people, we don't belittle people, we don't, in fact, put anybody down. We're going to take a break here. This is 11.9 High FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment with our Hilchot Shabbos segment. This is Hilchot Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos, Kedish Parshas, Bamidbar, Tov, Shin, Pei, Gimel. As we prepare for another wonderful, wonderful Shabbos, this is Shabbos Mavorchim, this is the Shabbos before Shavuos. What an amazing, amazing time. And let's do as we always do at this time, let's go through the major times and details we need to know for this coming Shabbos, and then we'll go into our Hilchas Shabbos slot, as we always do at following the times. So, this afternoon, the earliest time that we can light our Shabbos candles is exactly at 20 past 4. 4.20 is the earliest time, which is not so far. It's an hour and a half from now, still enough time to get those last-minute preparations done to be able to sit and, you know, get the table set and get ourselves all organized and get the food hot, whether or not you have load shedding now or you have load shedding later. We've all kind of somehow worked out a system how to be able to have hot food on Lel Shabbos, be it the gas, be it the oven, be it all different kinds of different devices that people have. But we manage somehow to Baruch Hashem still enjoy our Shabbos meal together with our family. So 4.20 is our first opportunity to welcome in the wonderful, wonderful Kedusha Shabbos. We're starting a new Sefer. We're starting Sefer by Midbar this week. We're getting ready for Rosh Chodesh. We're getting ready for Yom Tov. So many things. The Shabbos is so, so special, so auspicious. So 4.20 is the is the earliest time you can light your Shabbos candles. The latest time is at 9 minutes Past five, nine minutes past five is the latest time to light your Shabbos candle. So it doesn't give us that much time, but there's still plenty of time to get everything organized. The Shkia uh, tomorrow will be at 527, 27 minutes past five. And that is absolutely the latest time for doing anything. And as I always say, please regard the time between 509 and 527 as absolutely emergency time. It's only available to someone who really, really needs to, you know, he's stranded on the highway and he has to get home or something like that. Really, really desperate situations. It's not to be relied on. It's not to be relied on as a first instance of, of, uh, you know, of preparing for, for Shabbos. We have to regard the time of candlelighting as being the deadline, the time when the phone has to go off and the keys have to be locked away. If you're going to be driving to shul, you need to already be there by by 5.09. So we said that 5.27 is is shkia. If you want to, therefore, be able to daven myrev and 
say the Shema and not have to repeat it, and also to be able to say Krishma when it's proper, well, sorry, to say Sfirat uh, Omer when it's properly dark. So all you have to do is wait until quarter to six, five forty-five. You can already dive in my and just see. You can already see it's already dark outside. It's already proper, proper night. And then, of course, by that time, you're home uh, shortly after six, and you've got this glorious, long evening in front of you, plenty of time to have a beautiful, beautiful suda with family, with friends, with some nice mirrors and some beautiful, you know, thoughts and discussion and conversation amongst the, amongst the family. And then after that, there's still, who's going to go to bed at eight o'clock? Or maybe I shouldn't ask that question. And there's plenty of time to sit down and learn, go through the parsha, open a book and, and learn something uh, interesting or something that intrigues you or something that interests you. But use the time. Shabbos is the time to be used properly for spiritual endeavors, for coming close to Akash Baruch for finding oneself. You know, the only excuse we have during the week for not learning as much as we should, oh, we're busy working, we're busy this, but there's none of that on Shabbos. And if we, therefore we prove our desire to want to learn by using Shabbos properly. Tomorrow, of course, is Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Bamidba, quite a long Pasha, not all that much. Rashi, it's a lot about the counting of the, of the Jewish, of the Jewish nation. The, but tomorrow is also Erev Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh will be on Moitza Shabbos on Sunday. And therefore we have a special Haftarah that we say when, uh, Erev Rosh Chodesh is on Shabbos. It's not Haftarah we get to say too often. Maybe once a year, sometimes twice a year, sometimes not at all in a year. It's after of Ayom Yonas and Mocha Chodesh, which is not really the reason why uh, we say it, just because it happens to have those words. There's much more uh, a sort of basic and, and, and essential and, and deep reasoning why that Haftarah was, was chosen. But we do say it when there is a Shabbos, which is the day before Rosh, Rosh Chodesh. So we won't say the normal Haftarah for Pashas Bamidbar will be saying this, this Haftarah. And because Rosh Chodesh is on Sundays, so of course, it is Shabbos Mavarachim. So we will say, we will say that. We will also, however, say, uh, Avarachim, because it's still during the days of the, uh, of the Sphira. Um, right. And then, of course, Musaf and, and Shabbos, of course, continues, uh, Tomorrow being the last Shabbos before Shavuos, we say Perik Vov of Perikiyavos, which of course is so, is so, uh, appropriate because in fact, uh, the sixth Perik was perhaps not originally part of Perikiyavos and it's added and it's called Perikinyoni Torah. It's the way of acquiring Torah, which of course is what we really want to be involved, what we really want to be doing in this last week before before she was working on how we can get a connection, how we can get an association with our, our holy, our holy Torah. So spend a bit of time looking at that parak. There's some great, great lessons, the 48 ways to acquire, to acquire Torah. And it's so fascinating. The Torah brings 48 ways and none of them have anything to do with IQ. It has nothing to do with how bright the person is, how intellectually uh, attuned he is. We all have a connection to to uh, to Torah. Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at six o'clock, and that of course then also is the beginning of Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh Sivan, which is just one day on on Sunday, 
And then we have a, a day break, what's called the Yom HaMenuchas, the day that itself is not special, but it has Rosh Chodesh before it, and the three days of preparation before Shavuos after that. And then, of course, we go right into the Shlesh Magbala, three days of preparation. And then Thursday night is what's classically called the night of Tikkun Lel, the first night of Shavuos, where many of us will stay up late and, and put serious, serious time into studying Torah, which is the really... You know, we talk about accepting Torah, we hear drushes about it, but you haven't really done it until you've actually done it. And Tekken Lel is a night to really get stuck in. We have plenty of time to really do some serious uh, learning of, of Torah and, and, and show that commitment. Not just make a commitment, but show and display that commitment by being involved in, in serious Torah learning. We are learning in Hilchus Bishel, the laws of cooking, we are learning now the laws of putting things back on a, a fire on Shabbos. Now sometimes when we remove on Shabbos Kodesh a pot from, let's say, from the platter in order to take food from it, you have your soup pot, you want to remove some soup, serve the guests, and then put it back on the, on the platter for seconds or, or for tomorrow morning, whatever it is. And, right? and then, so then, in order to do that, you, know, you want it to stay warm, you want it to continue to heat. But in this din also, there's a major argument amongst the, the Paiskin. The more lenient opinion is that they hold that uh, if I put it back on a plata or a blech, in other words, a covered fire, so that doesn't look like you're cooking. As we, as we explained last week, because we don't usually cook on a platter. We don't usually cook on a blech. And therefore, how can you say it looks like cooking when it's done in a way that's completely different than the way we cook? And therefore, certainly, it would be permitted to return a food that is completely cooked, that was already there, and now you took it off. Why shouldn't you be able to put it, put it back? Provided that there are two conditions, according to them, that you'd have to fulfill in order to be able to put it, to put it back. Number one is, obviously, that the food should be completely, completely cooked, because uh, if not so, then when you put it back, you are going to actually violate the total prohibition of, of cooking, because by putting it back, it's now going to continue to cook. So I'm now beginning a, a phase of a cooking process on Shabbos. That's completely forbidden. And the second condition is that the fire must be covered. Because, according to them, since if the fire is covered, there's no worrying that you might come to change the heat of the fire. And, and therefore, we'll be back in one moment with the other opinion about Hazara. This is 11.9 High FM, the program is Soul to Soul, and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is, we are back on your radio, air Shabbos, Kodesh, Parshas, Midbar which is also Erev Rosh also the Shabbos before Shavuos, and we just have a few more minutes left. We're talking about the laws of putting something back on a fire, on on a covered fire on Shabbos. We brought in the previous segment the opinion of those who are lenient and say, well, this doesn't really look like Bishel, 
because you don't cook on a plata, you don't cook on a blech, and therefore you'll be allowed, it's more lenient to put it back. However, there's another opinion of those who are slightly more strict about putting things back on a plata, because although this this uh, placing uh, does look like bisel, still the laws of putting something back, you know, it's putting something on a plata for the first time would certainly look like bishul. But putting something back is slightly different because since the food is already on the plata from before, it already has done sort of time on there from ready Erev Shabbos, so then putting it back doesn't look so much like bishul. And therefore, if it's absolutely clear that we're talking about an action of putting something back, then you're allowed to put it back the pot on the actual plata. And in order that it should be clear that this is a chazor, this is only returning something and not putting it there for the first time. So we need three conditions. Number one, not to put the, the pot on the floor. In those days, sort of when they said, the, when the cooking process were finished, they put pots on the floor to cool it. It's therefore an indication that the cooking is finished. If I would then pick it up off the floor and put it back on the fire, that clearly looks like an act of, of cooking. Number two, that you have to have intention all the time to put it back on the platter. And number three, that your hand continues to hold the pot until you put it back on the platter. And all this obviously is lechatchila. But in a situation of bidyevet, if there's a really, really big need to be able to return a pot and put it again on the, on the platter, again, it has to be obviously on a covered fire. You could never put it on an uncovered fire, right? So, so, uh, 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 it's only, uh, uh, only then will the, will the, uh, will the food, let's say you feel only, it's the only way to get it hot is you put it back on the fire. So then, even if you wouldn't fulfill all three of these conditions, since the action of Chazara is really just putting it back and not a clearly a, a putting it for the first time, you'd be allowed to put the, the cooked food back on the plata in that in that situation, even if one hasn't fulfilled all the three conditions. Well, that's about all the time we're going to have this week. And therefore, just left to wish you, first of all, to thank you all for joining us, being part of our radio show. It is amazing that so many people are involved, so many people want to hear, want to grow, want to listen, and want to be inspired. So let me just thank you all for being here and wish you all, first of all, a beautiful, beautiful good Shabbos. After that, a good chodesh, and since we won't be able together be again before Yom Tov, therefore, to each one of you, may it be a real, real, legitimate and genuine desire to accept Torah, to commit Torah, and to want this year to be the best Torah learning year you've ever had in your entire life. To each and every one of our radio audience, a good Shabbos, good chodesh, and a good Yom Tov when it comes.